This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Anley, and it's time for the New Hampshire News Recap. This week, lawmakers heard testimony on bills that would bar transgender students from participating on sports teams that align with their gender identity. I'm joined now by the New Hampshire Bulletin's Ethan DeWitt, who's been reporting on this. Good morning, Ethan. Good morning. Thanks for coming in this morning. And Ethan, I, you were at the State House this week. Can you tell me more about these bills and, and, and what they're proposing? Sure. So there's two bills. One is in the House, and the, that bill is titled the Fairness and Women's Sports Act. And that would require that all interscholastic or intercollegiate sports teams be designated male, female, or co-ed, and then it would define biological sex as an individual's physical form and an individual's determined by an individual's reproductive biology and genetics, and then it would bar people who are uh, biologically born male from participating in sports that have been designated female. There's also a Senate counterpart that would do the same and would extend that to locker rooms and bathrooms in schools as well. Okay, now who are the people who are giving testimony to lawmakers, uh, you know, against or, or in favor? What were they having to say? Yeah, so supporters of the bills argue that they're not trying to target trans students, that they're looking for fairness and they're looking for safety, and that they say that um, that students and children who are born biologically male have an advantage over uh, cisgender female students. Um, opponents counter that the science there is, is not clear. Research suggests that uh, actually there isn't uh, an, uh, an advantage that is played out among athletes, student athletes who are trans against cisgender peers. And they say that enforcement of this would be impractical for schools and also uh, potentially illegal, might violate something called Title IX, which is a gender discrimination federal act. Uh, and I talked to one student She's 14 in eighth grade, and for her, this is a, a, the question of whether how to prove her own gender identity is something that is baffling because she has been identified as female for seven years now uh, and has participated in sports and has had no issue. Mm-hmm. And to her, all of her documents, her name is Iris, and all of her documents right now reflect that she is female, which raises one of the practical concerns that opponents of this bill have raised which is how do you demonstrate that a child right. is not uh, the gender that they are expressing mm-hmm. um, when all their documents align. Ethan, were you hearing from anybody from school systems themselves, uh, you know, coaches, teachers, administrators that, that, that were either, you know, talking about this or, or talking about that this is an issue? Sure, yeah. Um, heard some from some of the teachers' unions. Uh, they testified and said, again, speaking to the practicality, that they don't see how they could enforce this, that if Mm-hmm. The way that the law is set up is it could open schools to liability. So there would be incentive for them to enforce this, and yet they don't see too many practical ways to do so, um, barring an investigation, you know, physical examination of a child, which could have um, privacy concerns. Yeah. So there, are, again, this would, if it were enacted, um, certainly inspire um, a lot of other practical searching. issues to come up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how are, how else are our lawmakers trying to change access to public spaces for, for transgender people in, in New Hampshire? Sure. So there's another bill that has cleared the House is on its way to the Senate that would um, essentially kind of rewrite some of the state's anti-discrimination law to allow for um, for public entities, which would include schools, mm-hmm. to separate public facilities such as locker rooms and bathrooms based on biological gender. Currently, our anti-discrimination laws do not allow that and haven't since about 2019. So that bill is moving forward. um, And there's a few other 
efforts in the work as well. Right, works we'll as well. We'll be watching more of, of your reporting on this. Uh, you know, lawmakers also voted this week on bills that would expand the state's school voucher program. I, I want to bring in NHPR reporter Sarah Gibson out of the conversation. Good morning, Sarah. Hey, Rick. Thanks so much for coming in. Sarah, can, can you give us an update on how things look right now? How does the state's Education Freedom Accounts program operate as it is right now. Sure. Yeah, this is another kind of hot, um, hot button issue yeah. in the state house. Has been for a couple of years. Um, there are about forty two hundred students participating in the Education Freedom Accounts, which give um, basically give taxpayer dollars directly to parents to pay for schooling of their choice that's not public. So it could be a homeschool group or tutoring or a private school tuition. Um, families are getting about a an, an average of around um, five thousand two hundred fifty five dollars per year. Um, and but in order to qualify right now, they have to make um, less than 350 percent of the federal poverty level. So um, that's about one hundred and five thousand dollars for families of four. Uh, and based on data last year, it seems like a lot of them are using that to send kids to um, private schools, particularly parochial schools in, okay. in New Hampshire. Yeah. And proponents want to expand this. Um, Ethan, tell us more about what's in these bills that the House Education Committee heard this week. What would what, what these bills do? Sure. So as Sarah noted, there is an income cap right now. They've raised it when it was first introduced in 2021. It was at 300%. They raised it to 350. But this year, uh, Republicans are consolidating around the idea of raising the caps entirely, eliminating them, actually, um, so that anybody of any income level could access that. So that's one of the biggest bills. And then there are a handful of bills that would raise them to smaller amounts. So you have one bill that would completely eliminate the cap and one bill that would continue raising it. And um, I think we'll see which one prevails uh, so, as the session goes on. Yeah. So these bills would change who is eligible to enroll, obviously. Yes. Uh, and again, the universal approach would essentially allow everyone. Um, and uh, there's also a, a proposal to allow local EFAs, which essentially allow the local portion of the of what goes towards per, per pupil um, amount of spending to also be accessed by parents if town if the people in that school district vote to allow that, and yeah. that would be a significant change too. Yeah, and you know the other thing I would add that's that's kind of interesting. Just um, going back to Ethan's reporting about how lawmakers are discussing LGBTQ inclusion and concerns about um, trans students. So one of the um, one of the bills that has a lot of support, a lot of sponsors, um, it actually lists certain categories of students for whom that income eligibility would um, be lifted. So it wouldn't be every single family that um, could access the the accounts, but it would be um, students that meet various categories. Uh, they have a mental health disorder. They um, have an, an eating disorder. Um, they are at a school that is um, performing at lower proficiency, which frankly includes a lot of school districts. Um, they and, and then one of the categories is LGBTQ or non-binary. Um, with you know because we've we've been heard a lot in the state house over the last couple of years about those students being targeted or bullied and, and needing safer spaces. So mm -hmm. um, you know that that's going to be a kind of interesting debate um, because uh, in, in some ways many of the people supporting efforts to um, to you know have bathrooms only available to cisgendered um, students you know are also supporting a bill that would um, basically get give education freedom accounts to LGBTQ or non-binary identifying mm -hmm. students. That is an interesting uh, storyline there, isn't it? Sure is. Yeah. yeah, we'll be watching more about that. Sarah, uh, school choice programs not unique to New Hampshire. How does the state fit in in the national context of, of this issue? So um, there are about 10, uh, 10 states that have 
made um, education freedom accounts universal, meaning anyone can can access them. And then a bunch of other states, including New Hampshire, that have these education freedom accounts that are more targeted to low and moderate income families. This really, yeah, and this was this was really like a, there was a wave of this, um, you know, in the years d- during the pandemic and and after, yeah, you know, increased interest in school choice, um, and um, in some cases, real dissatisfaction with school closures, etc. Um, so, so you know, the supporters of the education freedom accounts here in New Hampshire say, if we want to stay on the cutting edge of this, if we want to um, kind of uh, make New Hampshire a model for school choice and education freedom. We need to really make these um, accounts available to every family, regardless of income, so that we can be like Arizona or West Virginia or mm-hmm. other states that have really expanded um, expanded these programs and dramatically. Of course, critics push back saying this is just too much. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the opponents um, are, are saying the same things that they've said for a couple years now. Mm-hmm. Basically, the money um, that is going to education freedom accounts is is from a kind of pot of funds in the state that was originally very much intended for public schools. Um, The wording has been changed and updated such that it can now go to education freedom accounts. Um, And then they also talk about there not being um, the same kind of performance measures uh, that uh, we see for, for public schools with the use of those funds. It's Morning Edition on NHPR. We're recapping this week's news with New Hampshire Bulletin's Ethan DeWitt and NHPR's Sarah Gibson. Sarah, I, I want to turn to some of your other reporting this week that you covered a, a charter school in Exeter that's closing amid a fraud and embezzlement investigation into former school officials. Can you tell us more about the allegations that the, these former school officials are, are facing? Sure. So this is the Coastal Waters Public Charter School in Exeter, um, and uh, it's facing a couple. Di- there's a couple of different investigations open right now. One is into tampering with a public record. Um, I think this is um, related to their uh, financial records and financial statements they were submitting to the state. And then another one is um, for embezzlement. So uh, the Exeter Police is is has a few of those investigations going on. So the school is closing. Um, there was a, a lot of buzz around it. Apparently, would it opened a couple of years ago. Yeah, I, uh, parents were really excited about it. Uh, I spoke to a number of families that um, were really said that like the, the Seacoast region needed this alternative public education. Uh, it, it was it was Waldorf inspired, so that pedagogy kind of focuses on um, nature, arts, creativity. Uh, I think a, a number of families who who really didn't feel like their kids were thriving in traditional public school were excited about that outdoors element. Um, but then there were kind of red flags for some families quite early on. I mean, the, the building um, needed tons of renovations, so students were really outside in tents for the entire duration of the, of the year mm. in some cases. Yeah. Um, and there were sa- health and safety concerns as well as curricular Well, this concerns. brings up the question, Sarah, who was providing oversight? So the state provides oversight of public charter schools. Um, the State Board of Education approves those charters, and then the charter schools have to provide documentation, financial records, um, you know, that kind of thing on a regular basis. And then the schools themselves have essentially what's a school board, but it's um, it's not elected. It's, it's a board of trustees that oversees the school. The trouble with um, the Coastal Waters Charter School, um, what I've heard is that, uh, you know, some of that, some of those members of the board of trustees weren't, um, weren't as transparent as they needed to be about the financial situation of the school. And it just, it, it just kind of brings up the idea that is the oversight for some of these schools the same as it would be for a public school system? And of course, it isn't. No, no, it's it, um, it, it is, the structure is, is quite different. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I want to ask for you both before we uh, run out of time here, Sarah, what's next uh, in your reporting? What are you looking at? What stories are you following right now? 
Great question. Um, so, so the EFAs will be a big debate, and I'm super curious. Um, you know, you know, by the supporters of it say, you know, it's super popular. It keeps on growing by more than a thousand um, families each year, and so uh, it, it could be that there are a lot more families who become eligible this year, um, and that could tr- could truly change the education Another wave landscape. Of education yeah. freedom accounts. Yeah. How about you, Ethan? What do you? What stories you follow? I'm following kind of school funding more broadly. There was a pretty big court decision last year that w- kind of essentially ordered the state to dramatically increase how much it pays um, schools per student. And we're going to see a lot of bills that follow that. We're going to see a lot of debate that follows that, especially as that gets appealed up to the Supreme Court. All right. We'll be watching for both of uh, both of you. Uh, you're reporting from both of you. I want to thank you. <laughs> Ethan DeWitt is the New Hampshire Bulletin's education reporter, and Sarah Gibson is an HPR's uh, education reporter. So thank you both for coming in and, and offering your expertise. Thank you. You're Appreciate welcome. it. You can find more of their work, by the way, at NewHampshireBulletin.com and, of course, at NHPR.org. And, by the way, if you missed part of today's segment or if you want to catch up on previous week's New Hampshire recaps, you can always find them wherever you happen to get your podcasts. And we're here next Friday with more top headlines for the New Hampshire News Recap. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is NHPR.